Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Man City dethroned by Liverpool. Lad and Letizia on United's reign at the top. And who will be crowned FA Cup champion? Hi everyone, it's me, Lindsay Hooper, here with the Athletic's Ali Rampling for this one. Hello, Ali. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me on. And for one week only, mainly because we're recording on Bank Holiday Monday and there are a lot of hangovers around at the the moment, we're bringing in producer Sophie out of hiding. Hello, Sophie, as well. Hello, hello. Now, our listeners will have heard your voice before, so it's not a big reveal, but it's a reveal of sorts. It's the first time that you're actually doing the show. This is going to be a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm no longer behind the scenes, come out from behind the curtain. That's exciting. Glad to be on. Anyone who knows the show Inside Out will know that Sophie writes the puns in the coming up menu. You may have spotted there was a coronation theme to that menu for today's show. And there is a very real link to women's football as well from the coronation. Did you both see Sam Kerr as the Australian flag bearer at the ceremony leading her delegation in? And what I loved about it was she did not she did not decide to dress any differently to how she always does. We knew it was Sam Kerr as soon as the camera panned to her. Ali, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I did see her. I think, yeah, I'd have rather seen her in a Chelsea kit. I think that would have been more more exciting for the occasion. But yeah, I think that's probably my, my coronation highlight. Could be classed as royal blue, I suppose. Um, <laughs> well, straight from those royal duties, Sam Kerr did manage to score for Chelsea the day after. We will touch on that later. One team that didn't enjoy the coronation celebrations was fifth-tier Colney Heath. You may have seen this during the rounds as well. Uh, they were forced to play their match on a park pitch because there was a bouncy castle on their pitch. So they were told it couldn't be moved crazy. Uh, Casey Stoney commented on this first of all saying do better. Ian Wright as well, absolutely ridiculous and embarrassment. In what was already a bad look for the club, the Colney Heath social media team then tried to defend their position, throwing the women's team under the bus in the process in another social media tweet. Uh, it seems going back to antiquated times wasn't just reserved for the King's coronation. <laughs> uh, what did you think of that Sophie? I imagine it was a story that rumbled your feathers yeah it's just so frustrating to see isn't it you you get the top of the women's game growing you know the the biggest ever club attendance for Arsenal at the Emirates on the other bank holiday Monday and then and then you see something like this lower down the leagues I mean we've spoken to a lot of people haven't we on the podcast about difficulties getting pitches at at grassroots level and this this just took it to another level I mean a bouncy castle it wasn't as Mm -hmm. even as if 
the celebration was actually on the pitch. You could see in the photos, it was kind of the celebration was just off the pitch and then they had only the bouncy castle on the pitch. I mean, that's just ridiculous. A bouncy castle can be moved. I, I just, yeah, shouldn't yeah. be happening in 2023, should it? It's a shame that anyone didn't have a sharp pin of some sort, isn't it? Um, WSL is playing its part in showing how exciting women's football can be. Uh, later, we'll be catching up with Man United duo Hayley Ladd and Maya Letizia. But first, we're going to start this one with the big upset from the other side of Manchester. Into the path of Coy Visto, brings it back to Kearns. He's got space for the shot and rolls it home. What a finish by Missy Bo Kearns in the second minute of the half. Liverpool have the lead for the second time this afternoon. They've shocked Manchester City again. Yes, Liverpool have thrown a massive spanner in the works in this WSL title race. A shock 2-1 win over Manchester City. We must remind ourselves from a Liverpool point of view as well, the game before where they played Chelsea, they did run them really close. So they have shown some good form in the last couple of matches. What do you think then, Sophie, first of all, we've been covering this title race for several weeks now. Are we saying Man City are out of it? It's between Man City and Arsenal for the Champions League qualification spot and it's between Chelsea and Man United for the title. It certainly looks like they're out of the title race. I mean, the best they can do points-wise is equal Man United, who are on 50 right now. And even then, the goal difference, I think, that's what's going to come back to bite Man City. They're 17 goals behind Man United with two games to go. So basically, the only way they could kind of be in the title race would be to score 18 goals in two games, which seems incredibly unlikely. So yeah, I think this was a, a really decisive moment and quite interesting that it was Liverpool who who did the damage. You know, the the team who won the WSL twice, you know, about 10 years ago, and now they've kind of come back under the same manager, Matt Beard, to to make a difference in this title race. And yeah, this is a, a really big moment for, for Man City and quite quite gutting considering the run of form they were on. There is as well going to be one of these teams, Ali, um, from these top four that are going to miss out on Champions League football and by proxy will be deemed a failure because of the budgets, because of the history of a lot of these clubs, mainly because Manchester United are in there upsetting the previous parties. What would you say is, is going to be the outcome for whoever doesn't get one of those spots? Are we thinking that a manager like Gareth Taylor or Jonas Eideval could be changed if one of them doesn't get Champions League this year? I think I'd, I'd probably be surprised if we saw a change in management. But yeah, you know, you think the knock-on effect that will have for, for stuff like recruitment and attracting players if, if teams fail to get in the Champions League. I mean, we saw a pretty mass exodus at Man City anyway last summer and that was yeah they still had Champions League football I think the prospect of as you were saying Champions League football there and one team missing out Man City or Arsenal can you imagine if Arsenal got to the semi-final of the Champions League pushed it to extra time and then don't get that next season I just think for for the fans for the club I think it's going to be a huge deal for them if they don't if they miss out on Champions League football well, Manchester United are now all but guaranteed getting Champions League football, having missed out on it the last few years. It'll be the first time in their history that they will have it to look forward to. And it could mean some of their personnel. It's a point that you've made already about recruitment. But when we think about that January move between Arsenal and Manchester United, the discussions around Russo, Russo eventually staying put, it surely was to see whether Manchester United got Champions League football and she could stay, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I'd imagine I'd imagine Champions League is going to be a a big factor in in keeping players like Russo and and Ona Badje as well. I don't know whether it will be the decisive factor because I imagine Russo will have her sort of her pick of clubs this summer, given she's out of contract. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the the kind of impact that has. But yeah, I mean, for Man United to have broken into the Champions League sort of far, within five years of existing as a club is is unbelievable. Really, you know, the fact they've kind of overtaken. Liverpool and Everton in that time it's yeah such a such an incredible achievement for them and I think also potentially raises questions of other clubs in sort of how have we allowed Manchester United to overtake us in such a short Mm. period of time. Players like Russo though I, I wonder because even if Man United get Champions League football they don't have that much experience of playing in the Champions League so if Russo stays with them how far in the Champions League do you think she'd really get and if if you think about it, she's had offers from places like Leon, who've won it God knows how many times. So I just wonder whether actually it will be enough for those big players because they're not guaranteed to necessarily go to kind of those latter stages of the Champions League. Mm, good point to make. Um, whilst you were talking about Liverpool earlier, I did think I must make a note and confirm this, that they are now mathematically safe. Um, you can get more on their journey this season and the fact that they have managed to secure their WSL status with Kiva O'Neill's article on The Athletic. Go check that out. We've had discussions before about VAR in women's football on this show. What we did see in this game was Hemp hit the underside of the bar with five minutes to go of normal time. I would love, whilst we've got Sophie on the show and I can talk to her like this and you get to hear our editorial conversations I'd love at some point Sophie to do a bit of a deeper dive into what it costs to have VAR but goal line technology because I always think that we always in women's football move too quick we try and run before we can walk but actually goal line technology whether a ball has crossed the line or not would be a good place to start I thought this was a great case in point yeah, definitely. And I remember when we had Annie Luco on the show and we were talking about having VAR in the women's game, we were saying, oh, it's it's too expensive. And she was saying, well, why not? You know, you've got to ask for these things. And I don't know what the financials are, but I'm I'm pretty sure in this whole world of women's football, the money can be found somehow. You know, a lot of the women's game is financed by the men's side, right? And if it has to be done for, for these kind of additions like VAR and goal line technology, which would have made a difference. I mean, I've watched that Lauren Hemp show shot about five times back and I can't tell whether it crossed the line or not it's very difficult to tell but goal line technology would have made a real difference here you know we're talking an equalizer for Man City which could have kept them in the title race these this is a big deal I, Mm. I think with the women's game you've just got to keep asking for more I think you know there is money somewhere if someone wanted to spend it There were other storylines that have emerged from this weekend's football. So if we go with Friday night, Frieda Marnham scored the only goal as Arsenal beat Leicester 1-0. She's now been involved in 10 goals, um, scoring eight, two assists. That's her best return in a season. (laughs) Complete aside, there are a couple of lookalikes in the Arsenal squad for myself and Sophie. Oh, Um, someone was saying this to me as well. Let me see what you say. Yes. So so I, when I was at the 2015 Canada World Cup, I got a a selfie with Jodie Taylor and so many people when I put it online (laughs) said, oh my gosh, you look like sisters. I don't know whether that's still the same anymore, but certainly back in 2015, there was a, there was a resemblance. And Catherine Cool, Sophie, you must have had it a few times. That's exactly what my boyfriend said to me. First time I saw her on the pitch, she was like, she looks like you. (laughs) 
We'll see, I saw we'll see what it. I saw it, Sophie, <laughs> loud and clear. I saw that. Um, how about Chelsea then, Sophie? Whilst I've got you on on subjects of um, of goal scorers, because or blonde haired goal scorers, <laughs> blonde haired goal scorers. Yeah, when we talk about Penilla Harder. So I'd spoken to Emma Hayes before kickoff about Sam Kerr and the FIFA Pro report that came out, saying that in terms of loading, she's done the most minutes in terms of air miles and playing minutes and going to King's coronations. She's done a lot this season and Emma intimated that Penilla Harder coming back and being back from injury was good news and that Sam Kerr's going to get a rest now as it happened in this match she ended up picking up a slight tweak um, just after half an hour after scoring a header uh, Penilla Harder comes on and with her very first touch of the game scores they were scoring from all over and it was just devastating Chelsea form. It's as if someone had a whisper in their ear and said, you do realise the title's now in sight and you've got a cup final at the weekend. The double is on. And then we hit, we see them hit that stride, that devastating running form. I mean, if they carry on like this, Sophie, there is no way they're not winning the title. That sort of form that they showed against Everton was them at their absolute best. It definitely was a big statement. I was so impressed by how many one-touch finishes there were as well. I think almost all of the goals came from one touch. And I, I just wondered if that had been a tactic that they'd um, that they'd noticed against Everton. You know, if they move it quickly and then they shoot quick, then they're going to catch the keeper off guard. I think Penilla Harderback could actually make a big difference. You never know when players come back, do you? How, how long it's going to take them to get back into their stride but it seems like harder from this match definitely has has made a big difference although part of me thinks a 7-0 win is fantastic and it's great for momentum but it's only three points it's kind of like you want to give them extra points because they've scored so many goals but it just doesn't work like that um, obviously made up if they a were bit in, of ground yeah. though in the goal difference race because if you yeah. look at Manchester United they were so far ahead and now that has been reduced it's about six now plus six that they've got which with a few games to go Chelsea could put in a few more of these performances it could be a difference when it comes to the final day if it goes down to that yeah, it definitely could. And this definitely matters. I think teams like Man City will will know that, especially, you know, down on 25 on goal difference. It could make a difference, but obviously one is one win. The team who I thought would be really pleased with this result was Aston Villa. After listening to the Kenza Dali interview that we did last week, you know, she was saying how important it is they finish above Everton. You know, if they don't finish above Everton, it's it's a kind of not not good season for them. So I thought that she would be especially pleased with this win as well. Mm, there is a best of the rest up for grabs if anyone takes interest in that and it is between uh, Villa and Everton and yeah that's gone a long way into helping Aston Villa get that what also is helping is Rachel Daly's goal scoring form she's now uh, the first English player to score 20 WSL goals she's on course for the golden boot Uh, Bunny Shaw um, has been named CONCACAF player of the year for 2022 she's hot on her heels I have to say, in getting that award, Shaw has beaten the likes of Alex Morgan and Sophia Smith to that title. It does look like it's down to them too, Ali. But at the moment, you've got to edge towards Rachel Daly, haven't you? Because every time she gets a chance, she seems to be tucking them away. Yeah, she's been unbelievable. I've lost count of the number of hat-tricks she scored this season. And yeah, like last season, if you'd said that Aston Villa, you know, Aston Villa, the team that scored 13 goals in the whole of last season would have the, the WSL Golden Boot winner for for the following season. I don't think many people would have believed you. But yeah, I mean, it's a credit to Daly and it's also, I think, a credit to the, the players that Villa have brought in that Daly has around her. 
people like Kenza Daly and Kirsty Hansen who've like they must just be such a dream to play with the amount of chances they create for her so mm. yeah I think I think my money is on on daily at the moment what's interesting here is I looked back at our predictions at the beginning of the season for who would be golden boot winner <laughs> and <Gosh>. actually <laughs> three people said Sam Kerr yourself included Linz and I think yeah. Charlotte but Rich Laverty went for Bonnie Shaw no one I do remember Rachel that Daly. yeah, yeah exactly. I remember him going for Bonnie Shaw yeah yeah it's just interesting, isn't it? Because no one went for Rachel Daly. People didn't see this coming. It just shows how far we've come this season, I think. Mm, and, and in our defence, I think the Jordan Nob signing came slightly after we'd done that record, mm. if I remember correctly. Yeah, you see, you've got so. to think about the supply as well. But she has been getting the supply and that Daly Daly link-up has been just magic. Well, let's talk about the next WSL fixtures that we've got coming up because there are some midweek games featuring Chelsea and Arsenal. And then we've got the big Manchester derby that could have a huge say in the title race. And Chelsea versus Arsenal is the other one that could as well. That's happening on May the 21st. Earlier on, The Athletic's Katie Wyatt caught up with two players hoping to win the title. Manchester United's captain this weekend, Hayley Ladd, and defender, Maya Letizier. Now, you'll remember we spoke lots before on the show about the need for bespoke women's football boots, while Puma have made some for the likes of Ladd and Letizier. So, I don't know who wants to go first, but can you explain why the boots actually feel different being designed for yeah for me personally I think I've always struggled to find um, well-fitting boots I think I've got quite narrow feet we all know that women have kind of more narrow and kind of anatomically different feet anyway so you know, for me I felt like they really fit me and they're really comfortable and I yeah felt like I finally had a really well-fitting boot yeah I think the same I think it's important especially now but the game's moving forward and stuff that we should have the same and that we don't need to be using all the men's stuff. Like, we don't use the men's kit anymore. So, like, we shouldn't need to use the, the same boots as well. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's really good and I think it's really good for Puma as well to um, kind of be the first big brand that have released these women's boots. But, yeah, no, they definitely fit different, which is really good as well because you can see that there's some adapt- adaptions with that. And what about... Um what you did for boots beforehand, or and even before you got involved, were you getting men's boots? Were you going to sports shops? How did it work? I would just order some off-road, direct right? And wear them. Long in the days, we used to go into a shop um, to kind of try them on and, and kind of walk around the, the shop and try and pretend that you're running this mad pitch. Um, but yeah, most of the time, I think we'd order them off a website and just kind of hope that, that they'd fit all right. And obviously, um, yeah, you just kind of have to go with it and hope that. They were decent. I was just going to say, I know that the PFA was giving us um, boot vouchers, but I don't. I think that was only until you're in the WSL that you actually got boot vouchers for it. So obviously, that was a massive help as well for players that aren't sponsored. But um, you don't like it's a decent amount, but you don't just use two pairs of boots a season. Like you do go go through quite a few boots. So yes, I think it's important. Why is it important? I think especially with all the injuries that we're seeing at the moment to have more research into female bodies and special specialist equipment. I think it's very important. Um and it's a bit shocking to be honest that it's not been there's not been more research, especially with the amount of injuries that we're getting at the minute. 
I think if it was in the men's game, then maybe there'd be more research behind it and of why it would happen. But I think, to be honest, there is some research coming out about it. But I don't know. I, th- I think it's just for the clubs and the professionals at the clubs to kind of try and help manage loading and, and stuff like that to kind of find a way of how we can minimise these injuries. I know that we do a lot at club about about it, but yeah, it's not it's not that that good to talk about bad injuries, and you see them probably every week, every couple of weeks. I think it makes players on edge a bit. Yeah, no, I just I just think it's so important that our female needs are, are catered for, and that obviously starts with football boots, but it goes um, and kind of extends through to difference in hormones and kind of other sort of biological aspects as well. So. Yeah, if we can kind of shout about the importance of, of the boots being female specific, then hopefully that yeah carries carries a message and shows that you know we do need our kind of female needs kind of validated and acknowledged. And it's um, no, it's really important for the game with it growing the way that it is, and obviously the frequency of games and all this that that fe- you know that female players get the um, get the support they deserve. Is it something that you, I don't know, you didn't think about it all until this season or you've been thinking about it more recently? Where does that sort of sit in your thinking? I think it's happened for, well, a number of seasons now, but as you see with like the Champions League and stuff going on, the like the likes of the Arsenal and the Chelsea girls, they've got games every, what is it, three, four days. So I think it's been a bit more prominent recently, but maybe that's just because there wasn't as much coverage as there is now. It's most probably happened for quite a long time and we've got better facilities now but I think if we can keep keep on that and and keep raising our standards higher and kind of want more of the stuff that we that we deserve then I think we'll see that these injuries will kind of minimise but with all the loading and stuff of international games and World Cups and Euros Olympics I think yeah I think players need need more rest not it doesn't need to be like massive breaks but if there can be a little bit more rest within the weeks or especially for the, the girls in Champions League? I didn't even think it'd be probably possible in my sort of time as a footballer to have female specific boots. So I'm, you know, kind of over the moon to to see the progression and yeah, just want it to uh, to carry on growing. And um, on a more positive note, your friendship then, because I was told that you two are really close best friends. I don't know if that is the case. Um, can you tell me about your, about your friendship and how you met and how you got to know each other? Just at United. Yeah, May has started a um, early morning sort of breakfast club, sort of attack the day vibe. So uh, <laughs> we like to go out a lot in the mornings and go for walks and stuff. And she uh, she kind of roped me and Aoife in kind of maybe one of the first games of the season. And it's sort of like a routine that we've we've kind of started on and enjoyed. So, yeah, started with Maya doing that and then yeah, no, it's nice we've got a lot of similar kind of interests and, and stuff like that so no it's it's great to have Mayor at the club and obviously um, we got on really well So what's that you get up at what time where do you go for breakfast and what activities It's not early <laughs> Don't worry it's not early but I think the other girls at United would say it's pretty early but no just like just before breakfast we'll get ourselves up and just go for a bit of a stroll depending on what time the kickoff is obviously um, but yeah we usually find at least 10 minutes in the morning to go and have a straw have a chat chat about rubbish but <laughs> it's good but yeah sometimes when we're staying at the hotels it's all a bit uh there's just roads around so it's hard to find some nice place to walk so when there's finally some when the, when the hotel's finally in a nice area we're buzzing about it <laughs> but um yeah it's not too early not too early yeah brighton was one for that actually wasn't it 
Oh like yeah, yes, bass. Yeah, that was nice. I was tour guide that day. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Do you get Google Maps on and lead everybody and get them lost, or are you quite good at it? Oh, I wouldn't back myself all the time. Only <laughs> 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 writing because I know the area, all right. But um, no, usually we'll just put in a coffee shop and then try and walk there, grab a coffee, and walk back. Yeah, I don't actually know who does the Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, um, just wing it. Try and get to <laughs> Try and get home in time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Haley, what about the time in Malta we had to run? <laughs> 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 we were on a, like a warm weather training camp uh, in January. And we usually went out the hotel and went like left. And then this time we decided to go right. We were walking and, what, and we were just taking our time. Went and got a coffee. And then we were walking back and every corner we thought the hotel was there and then it was just another corner after corner after corner. And so there was one point we thought we're not going to make it so we went back because um, we had a... And Ethan's there in her uncomfortable shoes. I guess back with But yeah, I think that's the only close call we've had. Yeah, no, that was, that was bad, to be fair. Well, I remember getting to the hotel and I was sweating. <laughs> Um, what about um, off the field? Uh, which one of you have got? Like, is one of you the loud one or the quiet one, or how does that work? You're probably a bit louder than I am. Yeah, probably. I think Haley probably um, calms me down a bit. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just a bit like, oh, let's just do whatever. Whereas Haley's more of the brains, I'd say. Yeah. I'm just here for a good time, and Haley's like, like, no, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try and keep her on the straight and narrow. What sort of things have you talked her out with? Oh, just random stuff. Yeah, she's just full of energy. So I feel like, yeah, she'd probably want to go on a big walk or something and, I don't know, do a gym session in the morning. I'm saying I try and encourage <laughs> her to relax and uh, have a chilled start to the day. And what about actually supporting each other off the field? I don't know if Haley, you gave me your advice, you've been a little bit more experienced, or whether you just kind of don't <laughs> Fun and had a lot of fun all the time. What's, what's your relationship like off the field? Yeah, I don't know. I think as an older player, I don't know if our, our squad is kind of young on average, but I do feel maybe a sense of responsibility to sort of look out for people and try and see if people are all right. Because like we said, like football's not easy and certainly with the game growing and, and kind of changing so much, there's so much uncharted territory at the moment so yeah I think it's important to look out for each other and, and certainly have that sort of bond kind of amongst the team where you you look out for each other. Have you been a bit of um, a leader in the time in the title race to keep everybody's heads quite low I don't know what you kind of advice you've been giving to the girls? Yeah I mean we try to we've got a, a group where we kind of chat and try and keep on top of things and, and kind of discuss how the team's getting on and try and just be mindful of the way that people are thinking and feeling. Um, I'd like to think we've got quite a democratic um, kind of group where we quite often have team meetings and, and try and see how people are feeling and, and what they're kind of wanting and a kind of, yeah, feel like they need at that time. So it's more just kind of listening to the players and, and trying to figure out what the, what the group needs. Is that like a WhatsApp group or are you with a leadership group? <laughs> Um, it's just a leadership group that we have in the team. Okay, so you're one of the people in that. Yeah. And what's it like actually on the people when you play with people that you know so well? You can kind of support them and how they like best of being supported. Maybe that's giving them a kick up the arse or maybe that's just giving them a kind of arm around the shoulder and be like, 
you know, there's just different ways of kind of supporting people. And I think as long as you know that and you can kind of bring out the best in their ability, then that's the main thing. And if we know each other really well, then as you kind of pick up them small details, which I think make a big a big difference. And the last question, how's it been for you, obviously, in the league this season? It's so tight at the top. I don't know if you're excited, if you feel pressure, what's it going to be like I mean, I think it's exciting. I mean, I've personally never been in a title race before, only maybe when I was a kid. <laughs> so I think it's um, a lot different now, but it's just exciting. And as long as we focus on ourselves, and that's all that we can do. Yeah, no, same. I think having been at United for a few years now, we've had a couple of really strong seasons where we've probably had strong starts to the season and then um, maybe tailed off slightly or we've had injuries and things like that. So it's really nice to kind of live out this season so far and kind of feel that we've improved year on year. So I think we've already surpassed um, kind of a lot of challenges and things that we might have perhaps faulted on uh, in previous years. So I think already we've, we're in a much stronger place and we, you know, we're constantly evolving and, and trying to improve. So I think we're in a really good place um, just based on that improvement on a, in a really short space of time, really you know, uh, considering how young the team is and, and how young the sort of club in terms of the team is. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hayley Ladd and May Letizia speaking to Katie Wyatt there. So three teams, including United, can still win the title, but five could mathematically be relegated. Uh, that includes Reading, Leicester, Spurs, Brighton and West Ham. Bottom side Reading weren't helped by their 5-0 dribbing by Aston Villa, but Brighton did boost their hopes with a 1-0 win over West Ham. So with two games to go, it does look like this Spurs-Reading game, which has also been announced as a double header at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Ali, could be a huge one. It could be a relegation decider. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the first ever WSL double header that we've uh, that we've ever seen, and yeah, I think it's quite interesting because the idea of a double header has often sort of been floated as a way to increase attendances. I think we've seen it at like the Emirates Cup and obviously the Arnold Clark Cup, but not in the in the WSL before. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I don't I don't know whether the venue will be the sort of the deciding difference for Spurs in that game but you, you know you think with the quality Spurs have that they should they should be able to to overcome Reading but then the amount of sort of late goals Reading have scored this season they're a sort of never say die team so yeah it'll be really 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 interesting to see how that one goes. The venue not so much the deciding factor I don't think Ali as potentially Bethany England she just <laughs> tends to score the important goals for Spurs when they're needed. Uh, Sophie I'm wondering what you made of the notice given here for this double header so everyone can watch the men's team hang around then watch the women's team after but when you look at the two fixtures and the quality of the fixtures, I mean, it has turned out that this could be this relegation decider. So there's a lot more on it. But originally when it first popped up on my feed, I just thought, I don't, I just don't know whether they picked the right weekend, whether they've given everyone enough notice. 
Yeah, I think it's really difficult for fans. And we've had a few listeners kind of comment in about fixtures being changed last minute, whether it's for TV or other things. And I think logistically it is very difficult for people. I also question the use of a doubleheader. I mean, if we look at other sports, rugby, for instance, I've been at doubleheaders for the men and women, and you find that the crowd kind of empties out. And and it's quite a depressing thing because you see how many people don't want to watch the women's game, which is exactly the opposite of what they're trying to do. So... I feel like this feels slightly like a very well-intentioned, but a slightly last-ditch attempt to kind of save Spurs this, this season and, and the fans and things like that. And I just think Spurs can do more. Spurs can do better than that. On the note of moving stadia, there is one that's definitely staying put in terms of fixtures, and that's at least Sports Village for the Manchester derby. Laurie Whitwell revealed in David Ornstein's column today that it will not be moved to Old Trafford. He says that the move was considered, but quickly ruled out because the great Manchester run is happening that day. Uh, so emergency resources will be stretched and nearby roads will be closed. So that's an update on that one for you. Uh, three of the bottom four teams, then let's go back to relegation because three of the bottom four have changed their manager. We've got Melissa Phillips at Brighton now, Willie Kirk, who's doing a grand job at Leicester, Vicky Jepson at Spurs. Um, Reading haven't. They're the team that haven't. They've they've stuck with Kelly Chambers, who's got them through so much. Is that the right move, Ali? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think obviously we've seen Melissa Phillips and Willie Kirk do fantastic jobs in their, their respective roles. But yeah, like you say, I think Kelly Chambers sort of works wonders at Reading in, yeah, I think, I think the club are punching above the weight a little bit in the WSL now that they're, they're the only non-Premier League team in the in the WSL and yeah I think Kelly Chambers does about seven different roles at Reading and I think has done a pretty remarkable job to have them competing in the WSL for as long as she has um, I think you see with the with the men's side this season and last season there's been a lot of sort of off the field stuff like points deductions and players not getting paid on time and Reading just seemed to kind of get on with that. Whereas, you know, you, you look at Chelsea last season when there was the all the sort of noise of the the takeover and Abramovich, that sort of Emma Hayes seemed to get asked about that in every press conference about the impact that was having. Whereas, yeah, Reading sort of really seemed to go under the radar in terms of the, the off-the-pitch stuff. Um, and then, you know, they lost Deanne Rose for such a huge chunk of the season when, you know, you think how short the WSL season is and yeah. what a small squad Reading have. Like, that's that's such a huge a huge miss for them really. Kelly Chambers hasn't had the benefit of the resources that some of these other clubs have that's for sure. One of the things that concerns me, I spoke to Brian Sorensen earlier this week at Everton, I put him on the spot and asked him about whether Everton men getting relegated would affect the women's team and he said he's had assurances that will not be the case although he also went on to say that he won't be having much budget so it's certainly not like he's going to be spending lots this summer but when it comes to Reading, Reading men could go down in the same season that Reading women in, my concern is that I think that could very much affect the women's team if both teams go down. Mm. Let's tie all this up then. West Ham, they're probably safe, uh, but they're now winless in the WSL in 2023. Uh, Rianne Skinner got sacked, of course, for nine losses in a row. So Paul Koncheski certainly has got a bit of a spotlight on him there. Big result for Brighton. They end their clean sheet drought. Before the game with West Ham, they'd gone 22 games without a clean sheet. Unless Reading beat Chelsea, which doesn't seem likely, Brighton will be safe. Attention, parce que Egerberg est parti et on sait ce que ça peut donner. Egerberg qui prend son temps. Egerberg qui marque. 
In France, it's been a big week for Lyon. Their president, Jean-Michel Aulas, stood down after 36 years at the club. Uh, joining us now to talk about this one is the athletic Charlotte Harper, who seems to just be on a Eurostar every other week. That's how it feels, Charlotte. Um, tell us about this story and what you've unearthed. That sounds very glamorous, Linz. Not quite as glamorous like that. Yes, statement out from Leon this morning that Olas has stepped down as chairman and CEO of OL Group. Uh, he will be an honorary chairman and the club will still receive his advice. Uh, but John Texter, uh, he is the new chairman and will be the interim CEO uh, while they look for another person to fill that job. And yes, the reign of Olas comes to an end. He has been instrumental in Lyon's success, eight times Champions League winners and was really at the forefront of women's football investing in the women's team back in the early 2000s. So was a pioneer, a maverick really, and everybody on the board in those early 2000s. When I spoke to him last year at the Champions League semi-final said, you know, people thought it was risky they didn't understand why I was doing it. Uh, and gradually, he his decision was vindicated, given the success of the women's team. Yeah, not just the women's team as well. I mean, if you look at Lyon as a whole, uh, more than 50 titles have been won across the men's and women's teams. And we know that a lot of that success has been with the women. So what should we read into this? Is it a transitional time for Lyon as a football club that could see them not be as successful for a while. We know what happens with new ownership usually. It just means they want to cement their their own version of things. Do you have any concern that Lyon won't be the, the power that they have been in women's football for a while? It's a very good question. We know how influential Olas with the players. Wendy Renard has an extremely good relationship with him. If anything needed to be improved... That dialogue would always be open. And Olas did everything for Renard when she arrived as a 16-year-old, sorted out her school and made sure everything was a package and perfect for her and even persuaded her to stay in 2009 when she was going to go off to a university in Canada. Likewise, Ada Hegerberg has a very good relationship uh, with the president as well. He was influential in hearing the players' concerns regarding Corinne Diacre. So from a player perspective, you do think, wow, this figurehead at the head of the club, this rock of stability uh, is being removed. And it's a bit uncertain. I think some people at the club will probably stay for the moment and see how things progress. But yeah, it, it is a time of, say, I'd say uncertainty for Leon. And because of that, when we're looking at the summer coming up, a transfer window opening, do you think that players will be more hesitant about joining now? I honestly couldn't say. I think Leon as a team from the women's team runs far deeper than Olas. And they have a structure and the training facilities and the parity between the men's and women's team has always been driven by Olas and he will leave that legacy. So we know that Sonia Bonpasteur and Camille Abeli, they're a very solidified core duo running the women's team, as well as their recruitment and scouting. But it's similar to a figurehead. I don't know if this is just the coronation in my head, but you kind of think of the Queen. <laughs> Go for it. And yeah. the Queen is that that figurehead that everybody looks. I'm I can't believe I'm comparing Jean-Michel Alas <laughs> to the Queen. 
And really, it should be the king now, Charlotte. Really, it should, you be, should the be the king. But up with the, the weekend's but, events, I know. But the king, the oh, this is just going to have to be edited out. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say, is that when you have a figurehead at the top of the club, and you think of Leon, and you think of Olas, who has been there for three decades, and and they have that symbol and that status and that power. And that has been removed, but it doesn't mean mm. that Leon are just going to collapse. Their structure runs far deeper than the president at the top. Charlotte, I'm just wondering, were you expecting this or is this kind of a shock to you and Leon? It's interesting that the club uh, have plans in place to sell their NWSL club, OL Reign. Uh, so you have OL Group and OL Group own OL Reign and OL Leon. And so they are selling their NWSL side and it's the investment bank Rain who have been kind of hired to, to handle the sale. So that was probably an indication that things were changing uh, given the sale of OL Rain with new owners coming in. Also Jean-Michel is 74. So, you know, he's been there a long time. And I think... With the advancement of the French women's football as well, he he really spearheaded the French Federation to have a women's football sector and the new changes coming in with the Ligue 1. There was always frustration from Lyon uh, that there were only two teams really that could win the title and the league wasn't professional and they didn't have a strong enough broadcast deal. And the fact that Jean-Michel Olas has influenced that change and is leaving women's football in a, in a far better place than he found it. With hindsight, you can kind of connect the dots and think, OK, he probably feels like he's taken it as far as he can and has made the changes that he wanted to make. The person taking over is John Texter. Who is he? Uh, John Texter is a US businessman who bought uh, the French side Lyon in uh, December the purchase of Leon was initiated in June and that saw him add a fourth club to his portfolio. So he now has uh, Crystal Palace, Leon, uh, Belgian side RWD Molinbeck and Brazilian side Botafogo. And he believes that by investing in a multi-club model of ownership like City Football Group and Red Bull, those stable of clubs uh, will be the most successful and the way he can compete with the wealthiest clubs in the world. Thank you for giving us some insight into that, Charlotte. You can read more about Jean-Michel Olas and his impact at Lyon on The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Coming up this weekend, it is the FA Cup final, sold out for the first time at Wembley Stadium. Manchester United against Chelsea. And let's start with Chelsea, who've won it four times, Sophie, because they're going to be going up against Manchester United and they're in a first ever FA Cup final. So is experience going to be an extra string to the bow? This is so exciting. It shocks me because the first time that Chelsea won the FA Cup was in 2015. That was the first, the club's first women's trophy. And guess how old Ella Toon was? No, no. When she did, hate, when they did this. I hate this. questions like this because it just makes me feel old, Sophie. <laughs> she was she was 15. Oh, Russo God. was 16. Lauren James was 13. So I think that just kind of shows you how much history Chelsea have and how long they've been building for. And of course, it was Emma Hayes who, who won that trophy and she's still there. So Chelsea just, they've been there. They've done it. They know Wembley. I mean, it's sold out Wembley. That's going to be huge. So I think... The thing is, Man United and Chelsea both are moving the ball very well. We saw that at the weekend, but Chelsea have the finish. So I think there's no doubt the football played is going to be very smooth, but it's for me, it's whoever scores first. Because as you saw with Chelsea, they scored early at the weekend and they just had a run and run of goals. United, it took them a little while to score that first goal. They did score three, but it's not seven. So I'm looking at the first 20 minutes here. Mm. Well, Chelsea have got this midweek fixture as well against Leicester. So I think we should bring that up. However, they have got a deep enough squad to be able to rotate. I imagine Sam Kerr with this slight tweak that was mentioned in her calf. I think she'll probably be rested and she will be desperate, I imagine, to play at Wembley in front of a sold out crowd. Uh, It's going to be an interesting one, Ali. VAR as well to be used for the first time in this one. Is that welcome? Uh, Yeah, sort of, if it's used... Not not badly, is it? Is it? Is it sometimes can be? <laughs> what I'm saying is, if we're not waiting around, looking at our watches, yeah. what the hell's going on? Um, yeah, I mean, I expect that to be the case because that's how we watch every football match now. There'll be celebrations and then a big pause and then a second celebration, or maybe not. Yeah, if they could, if they could smooth out the whole VAR process in time for next Sunday, that would be ideal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's great they've got. Yeah, again, yeah, sort of shows shows where the women's game is now that, that we've got VAR and. And goal line technology in an FA Cup final for the first time, in a women's FA Cup final for the first time. So that's a really a, a positive step. And then, yeah, it should just be a really, really great game. I think, as Sophie was mentioning, Chelsea's uh, first FA Cup win in 2015 was sort of heralded as such a big moment in in kind of opening the floodgates for the the trophy sort of success that they've they've had afterwards in terms of, you know, they, they'd come so close on a number of occasions and that was them finally getting over the line. So it would be interesting if... Uh, if Sunday could kind of be that moment for Man United in terms of getting their first ever bit of silverware, I think Chelsea are the one team they've never they've never beaten. I don't think they've ever even taken a point off them under Mark Skinner. So, yeah, no better place place to do that than the Wembley on Sunday, really. 
It is clearly going to be a huge ask to do that for the first time at Wembley. One final thought then on how Manchester United might tactically adapt to try and do something here. Because we've touched on Chelsea and all of their experience and the depth of their squad. We know that they they can get this done. But if you're Mark Skinner, I for one think you're targeting that midfield area. If you can dominate midfield in this game, you've probably got a chance of winning it. I mean, tactically, what would you both want to see? I think Leah Galton will be key in this match, I have to say. I think she's been outstanding for Manchester United. I think they're going to try and use her as much as possible. She'll be up against Ev Perisay, I believe. And I think that's an area that they can really target. They can really use her. It'll be quite interesting, actually, as well, the battle between Guru Wright and, and Honor Bhaktia. I think, I think on the field, we're going to see two of the best left wingers that have kind of been in the, in the WSL recently in Wright and, and Galton. So I think how they come up against uh, the right backs is going to be quite an interesting battle there. Well, Wembley is sold out, but you can still get tickets with our social competition. It launches on Tuesday on our Twitter handle at The Athletic FC. We've got four tickets up for grabs. So do tell your friends and keep an eye out on that Twitter handle at The Athletic FC. It is time for us to go for our Coronation Street parties for some of us. For some of us, we're covering the final day of EFL. Yeah, that would be me heading off to Luton. Um, Thanks very much to Ali and Sophie. Thank you. Thanks. And as always, to you for listening, stay in touch using the hashtag AthleticWFP. At the Athletic FC is our handle and at Offside Rule Pod as well. We'll be back next week after that FA Cup final. Until then, goodbye. The Athletic.